Hey everyone, how are you doing today? My name is Eric Uzwa and this is the Summons from Gallifrey podcast. This is a regular podcast focused on talking about Doctor Who. And this episode is going to be a discussion episode about the war games, which I covered in the previous episode of this podcast. It's the last episode, sorry, it's the last story of Patrick Troughton who played the second Doctor. And so this is a discussion podcast about it. Thank you for taking part of your day to listen to me on this. And as always, if you have any feedback, please send it to mailbag at summonsfromgallifrey.com. Okay, let's get into it. Firstly, just because it's on my mind, I wanted to talk a little bit about the sniper at the end of episode one, which kind of always bugged me a little bit uh, just in how it it's executed in the televised version. In the novelization of the story, Malcolm Hawk describes the sniper as a German sniper hiding in some kind of random tree near the firing squad, for some reason because. In the televised version, of course, the sniper is shooting from a window overlooking the courtyard where the firing squad is set up. Again, for some reason because. In both versions, there's not really any follow-up or conclusion. You kind of just have to assume that eventually the British soldiers take out the sniper. That being said, it's a well-executed, no pun intended, cliffhanger. In fact, by and large, the cliffhangers in general for the entire 10 episodes are quite strong. By the time this story was airing, even though the news about Patrick Troughton leaving the show was not yet announced, I would imagine that the rumor mill around Fraser Hines, who plays Jamie, and Wendy Padbury, who plays Zoe, were probably pretty strong. Meaning that while you might have known that they were leaving the show, you wouldn't necessarily know at which point they would leave. On that same topic, the BBC decided to make the announcement about John Pertwee becoming the new Doctor just before the last episode of The War Games aired. I wonder why it was timed that way. But looking at the viewing figures, I'm curious if the BBC were carefully watching these numbers to make the decision on that announcement, either doing that before the end of the, end of the series or after sometime during the summer. Maybe the very low numbers of episode 8 forced their hand. Maybe they're probably hoping that basically announcing the final episode of Patrick Troughton, along with the promise of the new series being made in color, it would drive more viewers to check it out. You could argue that it kind of worked with the solid 5.0 million by the finishing episode. By around episode 8 or 9, I think it starts to become a little clear that the whole meat of the story is actually the introduction of the Time Lords themselves. While the concept of the War Games is incredibly fascinating, it's being used as a vehicle to get us to Gallifrey. Terence Dix and Malcolm Hulk needed to create a situation so dire that the Doctor had no other choice to, but to bring in his own people, knowingly that it would cost him dearly. Terence Dix credits then-producer Derek Sherwin with the creation of the actual Time Lords. Back to the story construction, I think it was a good idea to focus on one main war game zone to flesh out and develop the idea and the characters. I think bouncing around between different zones would have maybe helped to create an overall broader sense of scope of the operation, but at the expense of any kind of character development, and it would have been really confusing for the audience. Not to mention, it probably would have been a lot more of a production cost to create different set pieces. I think the show was really smart to focus on the barn from the American Civil War zone and the chateau of the 1917 war zone 
and really dress them up appropriately for their eras. I think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that the show likely stayed away from World War II as it was far too recent in people's conscious memories at the time, not to mention that perhaps there were some internal rules from the BBC that prohibited exploring this area altogether. I do find it challenging sometimes with some Doctor Who stories to remember that its intended audience is mostly the young adult range because I want to analyze it too much. I want to dig into it more than what I think is usually intended. I think the story concept holds up, but perhaps a little more detailing could have been done in the televised version. For one thing, the sequence in the final story with the warlord trying to escape in the TARDIS was not needed. I felt that could have been chopped, and maybe it was perhaps written in because the ep episode was originally too short, I don't know. We could have gone just from the evidence of the war games being presented to the warlord heading straight to his verdict and guilty sentencing along with his dematerialization. Certainly it's a minor thing. But maybe another topic that's not so minor is the actual usefulness of the war games exercise itself. Again, the concept is very strong and you immediately get pulled into a story concept like this and you can see where they create this epic label around the entire 10 episode arc. The whole idea is a carefully crafted exercise of testing soldier versus soldier. However, what actual use is a Roman soldier from ancient earth history compared to a World War I soldier, or even compared to the existing armies of the warlord themselves? The warlord's people themselves, sorry. Maybe a little bit of focus or story development could have been done around the end game of the exercise. Like mentioning to us that the Warlord's people are mostly a battle-hardened race that are preparing for this invasion of the rest of the universe. That maybe they have a fleet of spaceships currently sitting half empty and are aiming to use the human soldiers to help them out. Maybe instead of the processing machine just being responsible for preparing the subjects for the war games, what about using that machine to be training them for some kind of space combat? Or maybe the processing machine would be some sort of like virtual holodeck similar simulator, similar to Star Trek TNGs. Perhaps trying to perfect the idea of making soldiers think they're fighting one enemy when in fact they're fighting another such as making a British soldier think that they're seeing a German soldier when they're, they are in fact seeing a Dalek or a Cyberman, for example. If you take a step back, it doesn't make much sense to just grind out potential candidates in something so resource-heavy as World War I trenches, for example. Like, why choose the bloodiest war? While the first five episodes were very strong and well-constructed, the plot seemed to meander during episodes 7 and 8, with quite a lot of running around in the command center, but then picking up again for episodes 9 and 10. Maybe instead of the constant bickering between the war chief and the security chief, there could have been more plot development around the strength of the warlord's armies, or even more behind the warlord himself. Despite him being the penultimate villain in the story, we don't really get too much depth to him at all, which is kind of a shame considering that the show was trying to position this as a real epic adventure. 
speaking of universe and galaxy. I could be very much mistaken, but the script seems to use these two words interchangeably. The Time Lords mention universe a few times, while I could swear that others in the script mentioned galaxy. It, of course, it could just be an actor flubbing their lines. Okay, and I've got an email here from Robert in the UK. Robert writes in, Thank you so much for covering the war games. I did find it disturbing that for some reason the show thought it necessary to have the memories of Jamie and Zoe erased. How ghastly an outcome for the two companions. Thanks a lot for writing in, Robert, and I totally agree, 100%. It's barely acknowledged how invasive this is. It doesn't make much sense story-wise either. They both don't present any kind of danger to the Time Lords, and they've already been returned to their own space and time. It's a frightening and invasive thing to do to someone, and they kind of just gloss over it. I think it's a detail that the show just didn't need to pursue. It was enough to just leave them where the Doctor found them. The Time Lords were already established with a lot of superpowers that they demonstrated against the Warlord, so there wasn't really a need to use this memory wiping with Jamie and Zoe. And that, my friends, is our discussion about the War Games. Thanks a lot for participating. Thank you for spending some of your day with me. Again, if you have any feedback that you'd like to send in, please send it to mailbag at summonsfromgallifrey.com. Be sure to join us next time when I dig into the very first story of Doctor Who in color television, Spearhead from Space, with John Pertwee. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for this podcast to help the algorithm spread it around the network. That's all for me, everyone. Peace.